From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're on the West Coast sipping a cup of coffee in Arizona where our guest and I are, or the East Coast thinking about lunch, maybe you're in Europe ending your work day, you're somewhere in between or you're listening to the archive of the show, I know you'll be glad you joined us for this show. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building your wealth. Today, we'll be continuing our series on financial literacy, which focuses on building our wealth and for us to help others do the same. Our guest is one of the individuals who epitomizes that idea. She's been involved in helping others get started on the right path and to build their wealth for the majority of her career. Now, I like to start each show with a quote to set the tone for the topic, but today I couldn't decide between two very different quotes, so I'll share both and appreciate your feedback on them. Let me know which one was more appropriate for you and whether it had an impact for you. The first quote, any man who thinks he can be happy and prosperous by letting the American government take care of him better take a closer look at the American Indian. Let me repeat that one because it's uh, a little bit older language than we're used to. Any man who thinks he can be happy and prosperous by letting the American government take care of him better take a closer look at the American Indian. This quote is attributed to Henry Ford. I wouldn't have guessed that, but I can understand uh, his his perspective as a uh, one of the one of the real uh, pioneers in the uh, entrepreneurial and manufacturing sector in the US especially the you know the big companies but the second is from an educator so different different source totally different perspective teaching personal finance is like teaching students how to use computers in both cases students learn by doing and in both cases the subject has immediate relevance to their lives if taught effectively this quote is attributed to Dr. Lewis Mandel. He's at the University at Buffalo School of Management. And I just want to repeat that very last line of the quote. And in both cases, the subject has immediate relevance to their lives if taught effectively. Now, the key questions these quotes raised for me were maybe a little bit different than for you, but let's, uh, let me just share what uh, the first one brought up. Should we count on schools, which are run by the government, to teach our kids about personal finance. The second one, clearly personal finance, just like computer skills, are absolutely essential for every kid when they graduate, or even sooner. And somehow schools have recognized this with computers, but centuries have passed and haven't. Schools still haven't recognized each of us deal with personal finance, regardless of the career path we choose. So what's wrong with the school system? And while I'm uh, double-checking here, Pete, I don't see the chat window up. I'm going to refresh and double-check here, but I don't think you had the chat window up, so I just want to make sure you get that up in case we do need that. The reason I'll, I'll mention that in just a second. Several decades ago, J Steve Jobs recognized that if he donated Apple computers to schools, then the, by the time he's 65, at least one generation will be totally dependent on his technology. Now, he was absolutely right, but unfortunately did not live long enough to see the full effects of his vision. Maybe another group of entrepreneurs will make future generations dependent on the technology they introduce for teaching personal finance in schools. 
there's a challenge for some of our listeners. Those quotes and questions are directly related to our topic today, financial literacy. Blame the schools. Incidentally, the vast majority of us can blame our schools and teachers for not teaching us some of the essential skills in personal finance investing. And unfortunately, the vast majority of our kids will also be able to blame their schools and teachers for that same offense. Since 95% of teachers are not and never will be wealthy, they don't necessarily have all the skills, experience, and knowledge to be able to teach kids these key skills. And those who do have that knowledge have often left the teaching profession. So go ahead and take a minute or two to blame your teachers. And let's see if it helps. Do you feel any better? So you don't have to take full responsibility for the uh, uh, lack of financial skills, maybe? And does blaming them bring you any closer to being wealthy? It didn't help me, but I thought I'd give it a try. If the answer to either of these questions is no, then maybe it would be worth taking the next 55 minutes to see if there might be some ideas or uh, some tools our guest can share with us so she can uh, break this chain of multi-generational blame and financial struggle. And if you hear even one good idea today, share the link to today's show with everyone you know. Some of them will be teachers and educators who will hear these ideas too. Now, if you're one of the rare breed who had sufficient courses in personal finance while you were in school, our guest and I would love to hear from you. Just send a quick chat message at the bottom of the screen. I am waiting for that chat chat window to come up. I don't know if we're having a technical problem with it, but I'm not seeing that come up. Hopefully it will be. You also can call in, and I'll I'll, uh, mention that number here shortly. But uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about your experience and what you learned in school. Uh, On the other hand, don't worry, we will not have a final exam during the show. Uh, the key thing is it would show us that there is some progress being made. Now, today is Monday, December 8th, 2014. It's 9.06 in Arizona, 11.06 a.m. on the east, east Coast, and the only day ever like it. So we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you might want to connect with the with uh, us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, put together as a single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but uh, if not, we do have the archive of shows on wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. And by the way, the chat window is up. So if you did have a good experience with learning about personal finance in school, uh, make sure you send us a chat and we'll uh, we'll be able to share some of that experience. And as I mentioned, we do welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using that chat window below the radio player since we have a lot to cover. But you can call in. That number is 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the screen. Now, the U.S. equity markets reached four more record highs since our last show. Seems like it just keeps going up, which means there have been 94 new highs since the Great Recession. The U.S. equity markets are off to a negative start today, and that has not changed. That has not reversed. Asia was up, and actually pretty dramatically in Shanghai. Europe is down, and Brazil is down as well. Our special guest to discuss financial literacy, blame the schools, is Angela Totman. She's VP and COO of Pay Your Family First. 
driving programs that change participants' lives, and she has a passion for financial education. She participated in the development of Thrive Time for Teens, the board game, and the Youthpreneur Biz Kit that encouraged participants through creative learning and instill skills that can be immediately applied, just like that quote mentioned earlier. Angela is a certified professional Excuse me, let's try that again. Certified personal and family finance educator. Over 10 years of experience teaching, developing financial literacy, resources, and programs. She's the co-author of Financial Mastery, a college-level financial literacy curriculum. Boy, my speech is fading. It's a good thing we're bringing on our guest. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Angela Totman. Welcome, Angela, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Ron, and to speak with you and, and your listeners. Okay. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, you did a great job. I am a certified personal and family finance educator. Really, the way I would describe it, though, is that I um, spend my time creating tools and programs and then utilizing those to allow people to take control of their financial lives and really drive the progress they want um, with, with purpose and passion. Good. I'm glad I let you say that because um, you know sometimes the the uh, uh, background can be a little bit of dry, a little bit dry. But I like that much better. Now, hopefully, most of our listeners recall we had Sharon Lecter on the show in October to kick off this series on financial literacy. You work with Sharon as COO for Pay Your Family First. Tell us about the company and your role. Sure, I do work with Sharon. I've actually worked with Sharon for um, coming up on 13 years. I've had the opportunity wow. to work with her. She's an amazing lady um, and an incredible mentor as well. And, and my role at Pay Your Family First, um, a bit as you described it, is to create programs and tools that are going to allow people to understand the importance of financial literacy, uh, be able to implement it in their lives, and then ideally share that with others and teach it with others. So we work with Schools, we work with youth organizations, we work with uh, corporations, really anywhere where there is the desire to incorporate financial literacy programming, that's where we want to serve. Um, in addition, we have other programs surrounding Sharon's literary works, and so um, I'm responsible for the operational uh, management and progress of any of those programs and making sure that those special projects are happening and that our relationships continue to develop, and, and we're just spreading the, the positive messaging and the work that we do um, every day. Okay, and it is positive work. You also do some speaking, coaching, teaching. Is that part of your role at Pay Your Family First, or do you wear two hats? Uh, the answer is yes to both. So at, at okay. yeah, exactly. At Pay Your Family First, the teaching that that I do uh, is both here, and then I do some um, on my own as well. So we we do have our programs here implemented locally as well as across the country, and and some of our programs and tools have even been used internationally. Um, and so really, again, it gets back to that mission of wherever there's the opportunity to really share with people the, this important work and give them something that will inspire them to take action, and they feel like they can be empowered to utilize in their own lives, um, whether it's through Pay Your Family First or, um, you know, doing it through other initiatives as well. That's where I am. Okay. Now, I do a little research on each of our guests uh, ahead of time, and I realize that you developed a process called the Realize Process. Can you explain what that is and how it's used? Sure. So the realize process really is something that I wanted to create because when we start really exciting projects or initiatives, whether it's a personal goal or something that we're doing in our businesses, it's really exciting at first. We go in, uh, you know, full steam ahead. We have all of this 
excitement and there's drive behind it. And then sometimes we hit speed bumps along the way. And again, this could apply to something that you're doing in your own business or something related to a personal finance goal, a fitness goal. And so the realize process is something that I created with. I'm a very systems-oriented person, and it was something that you could just look back at and say, here are the steps that it takes to be able to ensure that I'm on track. And, and so REALIZE is an acronym. And okay. it sta- it, basically what it means is first recognize your true mission and purpose. Sometimes we think we're doing the thing that we want to do, um, but really it's more like the thing we think we're supposed to do. And I've experienced this in my own life. So, so the first thing is recognize what your true mission or purpose is or what your goal, goal is that you're trying to accomplish. And then okay. establish your expectations. So what is it that you're truly trying to do? You have your overall goal. Establish your expectations. What time frame do you want to be able to complete this in? How are you going to measure it? Really those expectations that tell you whether or not you've reached your goal and if you can measure it through benchmarks along the way. Then you align your team. Align your team is basically about identifying the people that can come in and support you in that mission or that goal. Uh, It's very rare that we ever hear of somebody who says that they achieved their ultimate success on their own, right? Right, Um, right. So it's about finding the people who can support you in getting to where you want to be. And then you lead with focus. So, you know, really be the driver of your mission. Uh, Lead with focus and by example, staying on track, uh, but not necessarily with blinders, but again, being focused on what you want to do because it is easy to get distracted along the way. Invest in the process. And and this is a follow-up to that leading with focus. Invest in the process. Give it a chance to work. Um, You know, we live in a little bit of a society where we expect things right away. And, you know, we are able to pay for things very easily with the swipe of a card. We're able to see immediate results and responses via social media. You know, we have all of these things that give us immediate feedback. And so invest in the process as a reminder that some things don't always happen as fast as we want them to. So give yourself the opportunity to see success over the long term. And then the last couple parts are zero in on your results. So are you achieving the results that you want? And if the the answer is no, you know, evaluate why that's happening and then make adjustments if you need to. Mm -hmm. So, again, through this process, you are able to realize your your purpose or realize what it is you're trying to do. Ideally, you're realizing your end goal through a specific um, uh, engagement or through a specific initiative that you're doing. And by simply looking at these steps along the way, it helps you get there. Okay, and I won't test you on if you remember what the acronym FOCUS stands for from from some of uh, Kiyosaki and, and uh, Lecter's uh, writings. Uh, so I won't I won't test you on that. Maybe I'll mention it at the very end of the show for people that are curious. Uh, but before we dig into specifics, would you share with our listeners how they would contact you, learn more about Pay Your Family First and more about you? Sure. So you can learn more about um, Pay Your Family First via going to www.payyourfamilyfirst.com. And you'll learn a little bit about our founder, Sharon Lecter, there, as well as our programs and our team. You're also able to check out my website, AngelaTotman.com. And I'm available via email at Angela at PayYourFamilyFirst.com. All right. Excellent. And I'll just remind people it's one T, T-O-T-M-A-N. So no double T's, no double N's or any of that kind of stuff in your last name. That's right. T-O-T-M-A-N. Correct. 
Okay, let me ask you the two questions that came to mind when I hear the quotes that I mentioned at the beginning. Should we count on schools, uh, which are run by the government, to teach our kids personal finance? You know, that's an interesting question. We rely on schools to teach other life skills like math and reading. Um, We rely on schools to teach important events in history. You mentioned computer skills in the second quote. Financial literacy, being able to understand how money works and make educated decisions, money management is a life skill. So why would we not be teaching it in schools? Okay. Uh, you know, whether you agree that it should or shouldn't be taught, the, the fact of the matter is is that younger and younger, people are able to make decisions about money, whether it's via a phone or they have their own cards or their own cash. Kids are able to make decisions on a frequent basis. And this is something that we hear when we teach programs. Junior high, even K through 6 students are seeing people use money in a variety of different ways or making decisions themselves about money. So if this is something that we have have to use starting at such a young age, why would we not want to empower individuals with the information and the education to be able to use it responsibly? Well said. Now, somehow schools, as, as, as we mentioned, have recognized computers are essential, and they have included them in the, in the, in the work. I mean, heck, a lot of this stuff's much more. It's not, not computers now than probably even through the textbooks. But centuries have passed, and schools still haven't recognized that this is a life skill that we need to de- deal with personal finance regardless of our career path. Uh, why is it they haven't recognized it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know necessarily that it's not been recognized. You know, we we mm-hmm. work with some amazing teachers who understand the importance and they find creative ways to integrate financial education into their classrooms, whether it's through our games and programs like the Thrive Time game um, or they find other ways to do it. You know, really the challenge is is that the system as a whole is slow to change and teachers are not necessarily working towards end goals that they individually feel are the important things. Not that they don't get any input, but, you know, those standards, they're done on a system-wide basis, and sometimes it's burdensome to make changes to those, and, and sometimes there's political issues that get in the way. So I think that really the best way to move forward is just to continue to talk about it, to lift up those teachers and to acknowledge them that are out there doing it, and to recognize, too, that students say that they want this. And I think that that's going to propel change as we move forward. Hmm. This must be the only area political issues get in the way of change. That's that's surprising. (laughs) Just surprises the heck out of me. All right. When I went to school, now I have to admit, it was back in the 20th century, if you can believe it. Some of the young listeners are going, when? Anyway, I had no courses in personal finance. Uh, We did have one teacher in high school economics who taught us a little bit about how the stock market works, but I think it was just because the teacher uh, understood it and thought it would be something useful rather than something that was in in the course per se. Uh, Did you have courses in personal finance as you grew up? I did not have courses in personal finance. I did take, uh, I was required to take an economics class. And in the state of Arizona, personal finance standards do fall underneath economics requirements. Uh, okay. The interesting thing, though, is that there there are actually multiple ways that students can achieve that economics requirement. Um, they may not necessarily take that econ class. They may take another class that also integrates some of those economic standards into it 
So it counts as part of their econ credit. Well, the challenge with that is that they're not necessarily getting all of those econ standards. Mm -hmm. So perhaps mm -hmm. financial education, those standards were not integrated into that class. And so it's, it's interesting when you look at the classes that are available and, and with the requirements that are out there, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that students are getting the financial education they need, which is why we continue to work to see a a specific class dedicated just to teaching personal finance. Oh, I'd love to love to see it, but uh, you're much younger than I am, and uh, you didn't have any courses, and that, that still is, is embarrassing. So much time is passing. Now, you've been instrumental in actually having new legislation passed in Arizona. Tell us a little bit about that. So in, in 2013, SB 1449 was signed into law, and 1449, is, basically it requires that those personal finance courses are part of economics. They can't be taken out. That is, has now been legislated. Uh, so, so really that's what secured personal finance as part of those economics requirements. But as I said, even with that happening, there are still circumstances under which students may not be getting that, getting those particular concepts taught to them. And, and so that's why, again, we really need to focus and and make sure that we are dedicating sufficient time to making sure they have all the information they need to graduate with a sound skill set related to money. And really, you know, my belief is that that's done through a dedicated course. Financial literacy can be integrated into many different topics, and it weaves in very nicely. Um, but in, until students are, are required to demonstrate proficiency, it's really hard to, to know for sure that we've equipped them properly to go out and, and to do well financially. Okay, there's more I want to ask you about this legislation, but let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, like the ones in our series on financial literacy, you definitely want to go back and re-listen. We maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. We'd like to also get an email reminder to you, especially if you haven't already been receiving them. Just send me an email, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions, especially if you had a good experience with courses in personal finance. We'd like to hear from you. The easiest is to start a chat in the area below the radio player, and that is open. Or you can call in. The number's at the top of the screen. It is 917-388-4162. And our topic today is financial literacy, Blame the Schools, which we're discussing with Angela Totman. She's the VP and COO at uh, P, Pay, huh, COO, let's try that first, at Pay Your Family First, who participated in the development of Thrive Time for Teens board game and Youthpreneur BizKit, which you'll hear more about in this next segment. Now, Angela, so this new legislation's passed. It doesn't sound like it's having its full effect yet. When do you think that all high school students in, uh, in, in Arizona will have some courses in personal finance before they graduate? That's a, that's a really interesting question, and it's hard to say for sure. The legislation, the way it's currently written, what it does is it requires personal finance be part of economic standards. So personal finance right now would be taught as part of that economics course. Uh, so okay. right now, Arizona doesn't require a standalone course. So really, I mean, that's when I mentioned we, we are continuing to do additional mm -hmm. work and, and really push the, the messaging and the initiative and really create awareness about why this is important. But it is starting to have an effect already. I mean, we see it just in how conversations are shifting in certain environments. For example, I recently volunteered as part of a 
Standards Validation Committee um, for Arizona Department of Education's Career and Technical Education Department. And part of the conversation was around, well, now that SB 1449 has passed, what does this mean for those financial literacy standards? So the really great thing is SB 1449 is creating additional dialogue, which is exactly what we need it to do, because the more we talk about it and the more we really raise awareness about the resources that are available and the importance of financial literacy, the quicker we will see change happen. Okay, and I guess it takes a few good schools to get some good press on it for, to kind of put the uh, impetus on the other ones to really get it moving. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what other states have done? How many states in the U.S. have similar legislation, for example, or maybe already have uh, made more progress in getting personal finances as part of the curriculum? Well, the state requirements in the U.S. vary a little bit. There are actually only four states currently in the U.S. that require a separate class. So they have a one-semester course devoted to personal finance, and those states are Utah, Missouri, Tennessee, and Virginia. So those are the only four states currently that require a standalone course. However, there are a number of states across the nation that are similar to Arizona in that they, they require personal finance instruction to be incorporated into other subjects. But again, we go back to the challenge with that is, is that without having some sort of measurement criteria or some sort of um, tool for, for being able to understand what their proficiency is um, when they exit high school, and because there are other ways to, again, for example, in Arizona, I can get my economics requirement without necessarily taking that economics course because some other courses may offer a lot of the standards in there, but may not necessarily mm-hmm. integrate financial literacy concepts. Uh, so, you know, that's why it, it's challenging to look at it and to say, oh, half of the state or states in the United States require some sort of personal finance. Well, it's not a, that really black and white as far as they have it or they don't. There's different nuances to how um, standards are created. There's different um, variations as to how students are able to get the credits that they're required to have. And so it's not a guarantee if your state has personal financial education legislation mm-hmm. or some sort of requirement that students are getting it at the level that they, they need to be able to leave high school and be able to make educated decisions about things like credit cards, student loans, understanding budgets, and financial statements. Okay. Now, given how slowly government institutions actually implement change, which we touched on a little bit, uh, and, of course, majority schools are run by the government, are you optimistic the next generation will have a higher level of uh, financial literacy coming out of school than uh, we did? I am optimistic for a couple of reasons. A lot of it, though, has to do with the fact that we are seeing more and more conversation and more and more awareness created around financial education. We are seeing more organizations that are, are being created specifically dedicated to financial literacy education and even to some extent entrepreneurship. But really the exciting thing is that when we go and we talk to kids and we teach them and we you know, use fun tools and show them why it's, it's relevant for them, some of them already, they're already asking for it. They aren't waiting for us necessarily to come into the classroom and all of a sudden realize, hey, I need this. But it is pretty amazing how often that light bulb does go off and they're like, oh my gosh, why are they not teaching me this in class? So whether they're requesting it before they get the exposure to personal finance um, at any level or they're seeing the importance of it after maybe that first couple introductory lessons, Kids are understanding and young people are understanding that this is a life skill and they're asking for it and they're saying we need to know this. And and the more that happens, again, it gets back to the more we talk about it, the more awareness is created for it, and the more demand kids have for it and are talking Mm -hmm. to their schools, their parents, and their administrators, the more demand overall will be created for it. 
Okay, so it's more of a demand pull, maybe that'll that'll cause it than necessarily the supply. The 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 fact that we have personal finance courses, uh, maybe kids will be asking for it. And you talk about some fun tools, which of course didn't exist before. And we're going to come back to those in just a second. But one of the things I always talk about is is you shouldn't take financial. Uh, lessons or or uh, advice from people that aren't wealthier than you are, and of course, teachers don't tend to be you know the wealthiest in the population. Uh, would this potentially require hiring additional teachers? No, it wouldn't require hiring additional teachers. Really what we feel that, I mean, there's a variety of different financial lessons. Um, as You cover a variety of different topics, everything mm-hmm. from introductory things to more advanced investment and understanding different types of, um, you know, financial services. So really the issue here is making sure that students have a, a good baseline understanding um, leaving high school. And the really positive news is that it doesn't mean you have to hire financial advisors necessarily to teach these classes. There are curriculums out there that are available that, I mean, for example, anything that we build has a step-by-step how to teach it instructor guide that has been created for us. So you don't necessarily have to have specialized training to go in and and to teach this class and to do it effectively. And the the other thing is that there's a lot of uh, resources that are out there and available for free that are available to everyone, including teachers, if they wanted to go out and and get some additional education themselves on it. Uh, So it wouldn't require hiring additional instructors. Okay, because one of the things our our sponsor is a real estate investment fund in uh, Arizona, so it sounds like they don't need to worry about the impact of this legislation on property taxes going up just because we have new legislation. No, in fact, that was one of the things that we discussed and were very vocal about when discussing SB 1449 is because those those resources are out there. There are a variety of different curriculums, resources, and tools that are out there available for free. In addition, there's a lot of uh, opportunity to receive grants and funding specifically designated for financial literacy. So really what what highlighting those things allowed us to do is is take the the financial discussion out of it because those tools and resources are out there and available without creating a financial burden. Okay, and that's uh, you know so that's encouraging news. One of the things that Sharon Lecter mentioned uh, when she was on is that Thrive Time for Teens board game could be used in the classroom, and the game itself would requ- wouldn't then require teachers to get additional training. Since you're a co-developer, do you agree with her statement on that? I do agree with her statement, and, and that's you know that really gets down to the heart of the question you asked a uh, you know a couple questions before in regards to would we have to hire additional teachers. This is a great example of a tool that's out there and available. The, the Thrive Time for Teens game it teaches kids about the consequences of making everyday decisions about how they spend their time and how they spend their money. But the game does it in a fun way, but it still exposes students to their personal financial statements, to the ideas of budgeting. They're managing their own income statement and balance sheet and don't even know it, but because we're able to provide those lessons in a fun way that is still relevant for where they are in life right now, it's such an effective tool. And again, you, we when we say to them at the end of these programs, listen, you guys just completed your income statement and balance sheet, that's a tremendous win for them. I mean, how many adults do we know that don't necessarily have the knowledge and the skills to be able to do that? Right. And to be able to equip them in a short amount of time, like playing a board game, it's hugely impactful and it's very empowering for kids as well as teachers who see that, okay, this is a tool that I can use in the classroom and this is something that I feel comfortable and confident using. And then they feel educated at the end of the process as well. 
Okay, tell us a little bit about how the game is actually played, and, and some of what, is, what are some of those aspects of personal finance? I mean, is it is it a board game much like Monopoly would be? And I'm, I'm going around through it, so it gives us just kind of a thumbnail sketch of of uh, playing that game. Well, the Thrive Time for Teens game, everybody starts as a teen in high school with a part-time job. And so everybody starts out with their beginning income statement. They have their salary, they have their living expenses, and then calculate out net income. And through drawing cards, kids are presented with different scenarios and opportunities. And so they might be faced with a decision of, you know, they have an unexpected expense. How are you going to pay for that? Do you have enough cash or are you using your credit card to pay for it? Even if you do have enough cash, it allows them to make those choices. The game presents them with entrepreneurial opportunities. So, for example, one of the uh, business opportunities in the game is you, have, you can start tutoring the grade school students nearby in math. You know, so what it does is it presents them with different scenarios about managing credit cards, about managing their um, expenses, about income potential opportunities via businesses. It also discusses with them management of their time, which is a really unique aspect to the Thrive Time for Teens game. Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> students are able to start making decisions in the game on how they use their time. We talk to them about, okay, even as a teen, what are you doing? We're all busy, and even as a teen, you know, you have your school requirements. A lot of kids are in extracurricular activities. Maybe you're playing sports. Maybe you have family obligations. You're, you know, helping your sister or your brother or a family member after school. So we give them 15 minutes every, I'm sorry, 15 hours every week that we call their biz time that they can start businesses. And so they start to understand that their time is valuable and they can be using it to do productive things rather than maybe some of the less productive things that sometimes, uh, you know, and we all get caught up sometimes in doing less productive things. But especially for kids, we want to make sure that their time is being spent doing things that are positive and, and keep them moving forward in a positive direction. Well, that might be one of the most important lessons just because, uh, you know, I see so many kids just, you know, spending time on, on video games that aren't particularly productive or, or watching TV or just kind of hanging out, uh, which pr- might be the most productive of those three. But nonetheless, um, that's, that, that is, you know, very, very positive news. By the way, I should just share one of our listeners just uh, made an interesting comment. The school should definitely be involved in, in, in teaching the kids about personal finance, and kids don't listen to their parents anyway. So, uh, you know, they're they're better equipped than uh, than, than parents because uh, parents can't seem to get through to their kids. So uh, I thought that was an interesting contrast to the to the show with uh, Greg Merced where we talked about the families uh, trying to teach their kids. So uh, anyway, just an interesting tagline, uh, if you will, to that statement. So you, you, you touched on a very, very different game than Monopoly which, of course, most of our listeners are probably aware of. Contrast it now to something like the cash flow game that was uh, uh, developed and, and marketed by uh, Kiyosaki and Lecter uh, many years ago. I, you know, Contrast it to that game. Sure. Well, the Thrive Time for Teens game, when we developed it, we wanted it to be extremely relevant for, for this particular age group. And we've played the game with uh, you know as young as eight as well as up to college-age students. Uh, But really the idea was making sure that the scenarios and the decisions that they were making were relevant for them where they are in their life today. So the situations Mm -hmm. that they're facing, their decisions about how they spend their money, maybe they're stopping and getting that burger every day or stopping and getting a coffee every day or, you know, it could be, oops, I was goofing around with my cell phone and I dropped it and, you know, my upgrade isn't for another 16 months. Now I have to buy a new one. 
there are discussions about paying for college with loans versus scholarships. And the businesses that we incorporate into the game, because, again, we uh, feel very strongly that entrepreneurship is an incredible opportunity for young people today. And, obviously, entrepreneurship has an extremely positive um, extremely positive. Um, place in our economy. I mean, this is really the, the backbone of our economy is small business and, and entrepreneurship. So we want students to be learning about it at a very young age. But the idea is, is that these aren't businesses that have incredible barriers to entry that they can't imagine themselves in. The businesses that these kids are seeing in the game, they're going to be, like I mentioned earlier, tutoring the kids down the street in mass. Maybe mm-hmm. you're teaching basketball um, on the weekends to local kids. Cool. Maybe you're picking up pet waste at your neighbors. I mean, this isn't necessarily something that's glamorous, but it's something that students can walk away and they can immediately do if they want. And that's the point of the game. The point of the game is that students are playing the game and immediately seeing how it translates into their own life. And we, have, we feel we've been really successful in this. The feedback that we get from students, the feedback that we get from parents and teachers tells us that it's working for that exact reason. And then they see that it's important to learn about how money works which then helps them understand why it's important to learn about so many other topics. They're starting to see, oh, maybe these things I'm learning about in school or that my parents are trying to teach me about really do matter. And so it, it creates an additional interest in learning um, across the board. Okay, so it really is geared to the to, to youth who understand that kind of uh, time frame. They're not going to be as, as sophisticated as somebody that's uh, been running a business or, or uh, you know leading uh, if, uh, you know having a family or whatever else uh, that that might uh, be better for grown ups. So this is really geared to to youth. What grade levels would you suggest use this uh, game? The sweet spot for the game is really that junior high and high school age group, although, as I mentioned, we've played it with, I mean, I've done programs at the YMCA over in San Diego with fourth graders, and we've done it with uh, with college scholarship recipients. And so the interesting thing is that the, the lessons that we teach are, you know, they're relevant across the board no matter what age range you are. So, you know, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll play it sometimes even with parents and we'll say, hey, we'd love for you to, to check out this game and let us know what you think of it, and they end up learning in the process. So, you know, it's, it's sure. interesting that the, the topics that we cover really are relevant across the board, but for the situations in them, it's that middle school and high school age group that's really the sweet spot. Okay, and uh, I mentioned Steve Jobs donating these Apple computers, which, of course, was a very, very uh, expensive venture uh, to do, but it really did uh, lead to a generation being dependent on uh, Apple's technology. Could Thrive Time or similar programs cause future generations to become dependent on them? Well, I think that the whole point of Thrive Time and these types of programs, this is really about creating individuals who are personally responsible and and who understand how to make decisions that will improve their lives. So, you know, really, we have schools all over Arizona that use Thrive Time through a lot of the programs that we do. Games are donated. And it's not about students and schools becoming dependent upon them. It's really about creating an environment where they are able to have an open dialogue about money and able to translate what they're learning into the classroom into the decisions that they're going to make every day. And, I mean, the, the only side effect that, that can come from that is, you know, an increased personal responsibility mindset, um, the ability to see how, as an individual, I can take control of my own personal finances. Even as a kid, how can I affect my own personal or family economy? So really, the, the messaging and the goal behind the game is the opposite of creating dependency necessarily on it. It's really mm-hmm. about sure yeah, the mindset and the behavior around how we make decisions around money. 
Right, and and I didn't mean dependency in a negative sense. It really oh, is. Oh no, sure. You know, could it could it be something that they then, uh, you know, rely on and maybe teaching their kids and stuff like that, and and therefore it just becomes kind of a self, uh, growing uh, tool. Uh, so so over time, I guess we you know that gives you a challenge there to figure out how to best uh, put some tools in place that you can essentially. Uh, become a billionaire because uh, all, of, all of the kids need it for the rest of their life. So that'll, but no, it triggers the right stuff. I mean, you're, you're saying all the right, all the right things in terms of that, um, you know, entrepreneurism, the time management, uh, understanding uh, money and the trade-offs, and sometimes uh, getting into a bind cash-wise. All of those are, are, are very, very good examples. But I want to switch to another program you've been involved in developing, Youthpreneur Biz Kit. Tell us a little bit about that. The Youthpreneur Biz Kit was actually the first product that was launched through Pay Your Family First. Uh, it was launched in 2008, and the Biz Kit is a step-by-step guide for starting a business for a young person. And it's a really exciting um, tool to use because, it, again, it teaches components of financial literacy, but what it does is it allows young people who have an idea to go through seven steps to starting their business, and it can be done either on their own as a self-study program or with mm-hmm. a mentor. We have tools in there for mentors as well. And what it does is it sparks that entrepreneurial spirit for young people. And that's a really great age to introduce them to it because they don't necessarily have the sensitivity that we do as adults to know or or some of those uh, rejection uh, worries that, that sometimes develop as we get older and we've heard no over and over again. I mean, we want to be teaching them about entrepreneurialism when they're young and persistent and they've got that fire in their eyes and and they have the – the emotional fortitude and wherewithal to keep going even mm-hmm. if they see a bump in the road along the way. Yeah, they're a little bit less risk-averse at that age. I mean, you know, just think about kids jumping off of uh, high places that the adults would never think about doing, and uh, usually it's not dangerous necessarily, but uh, they they definitely a little bit less risk-averse at that age. Is it something that could be built into school curriculum where maybe uh, the teacher would inspire them to be thinking about some sort of business idea at the beginning of the year and then eventually bring this game in and the whole class could um, be involved in trying to start that kind of a business up? Absolutely. In fact, we have had some discussions with teachers who have used it in that way. And the interesting thing is when we first launched this program, we launched it um, in Phoenix with a local nonprofit organization, and they, they did start businesses. And they st- those businesses became fundraisers then for the nonprofit. So it's interesting. There's a couple wow. different ways that you can utilize a program like this, but one of the one of the really great things is that it can be used as a fundraiser for the organization that chooses to implement it. So you know, perhaps you get the program for your kid and they just do it at home and they're earning mm-hmm. some additional money for themselves. Or maybe if you are a teacher, or you are a youth leader, you're looking for a tool to teach these concepts and engage students. But the great thing is, is that then it becomes a fundraiser as well. So you're, you know, meeting two needs there: one, teaching the kids, and then two, creating some additional um, income source for the organization itself. Oh, great idea. But before we continue, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, or if you missed prior shows, you can also find them on that archive, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Angela Totman. She's the VP and COO of Pay Your Family First. And our topic today is financial literacy, blame the schools. Angela is a certified personal and family Finance educator, over 10 years' experience teaching and developing these financial literacy resources and programs. Angela, would you suggest youth 
entrepreneur biz kit to be used at a similar grade level or earlier or later than uh, that kind of junior high and high school that you mentioned with Thrive Time? It can be used as young as you have somebody who has an idea. And, I mean, I have a 7- and a 10-year-old, and I gave these kids my – I'm sorry, I gave these kits to my kids about two mm-hmm. years ago so that they can start to look through them and and start to implement and, and use some of the tools that were in there. And how often do we hear these incredible stories on the news about kids who they saw a need in their community, and they so what they did is they just jumped up and they said, hey, I'm going to find a way to meet this need. And they do it through their own little entrepreneurial spirit and they do it through some sort of initiative or business that they created dedicated to meeting that need. So the great thing is that there is no age limit to entrepreneurialism. If you have an idea, and you know, sometimes with younger kids, maybe they need a little bit more guidance. Um, but if you have an idea and passion behind that idea, there really is no age requirement, which is one of the first things that we talk to kids about. Because you'd be surprised; sometimes they think there is. So that's the first thing that we want to really get across: is that you can be an entrepreneur at any age, as long as you have an idea and you find a way to help serve somebody or solve a problem. Then you have something to, somewhere to start. Okay, so somebody that's listening in their 50s and 60s should pay heed to that. We're not talking about too young only. That does also mean anybody can be a, a entrepreneur, and there's no reason that you can't become a billionaire at the age of uh, at a business you start in your 50s. Absolutely. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I finished my formal education, and to, to promise you it's a shock to any youth uh, listening that it was back in the 20th century. So neither of these tools was available when I was in school. Uh, you mentioned the... Um, BizKit was introduced in 2008. How about Thrive Time for Teens? When was that introduced? We launched the Thrive Time for Teens game in 2009, and we did this through a nationwide initiative that took the game into youth organizations um, in partnership with um, uh, some additional national organizations. And so it was launched in 10 different cities. We were able to really touch the lives directly of hundreds of kids through that initiative. But as being a part of that initiative, they promised to then go and teach it to their friends as well. So it had a really great uh, ripple effect because the kids got to see the game and learn the concepts in it, and then they promised to take it home, and they were given games and to go share it with their friends and their family as well. Okay. Since Christmas time is coming up, uh, we start thinking about things that could be useful for for members of our family or, or friends. And if I look at the majority of board games, and we mentioned Monopoly already, uh, they're not very expensive. Uh, the contrast would be something like the cash flow game, which is fairly expensive. I'm not saying it's not worth it. Uh, what price point are the Thrive Time for Teens and Youth uh, Printer Bizkit? The Thrive Time for Teens game is online and available at thrivetimegame.com for $49.95. And the okay. Youth Printer Biz Kit is also available online, um, and that product is $99. And the really great thing about these tools are that, you know, the Thrive Time for Teens game, this is a tool that is a great family investment. It's something that you can play with your family, you play with your friends, and it's a reusable mm-hmm. resource. So when you're looking at you know, being able to use it over and over again. We have the game sheets online. So, you know, once you've played it so much that you run out of game sheets, you could just go right to our website and get those game sheets online. Um, you know, oh, and the, okay. the, yeah, and the Youth Printer Biz Kit, too. The great thing about the Biz Kit is we have created for both of these um, to be incredibly engaging. Of course, when you create a tool, you want to ensure their efficacy. And so for the, for the Youth Printer Biz Kit, what we did is we created – Um, several components to it, just to ensure engagement and then give both the user and any mentor involved 
everything they would need to be successful and to guide a, a student along that process. So there is the workbook itself, which is where you actually you know, do your note-taking and create what you um, want to. We have a guide, a beautiful full-color guided, we call it, which basically takes the workbook and it's a beefed-up version. It dives deeper into some of the concepts that students will address in the workbook. There's a mentor guide as part of that particular product. In addition to a tote bag, uh, a money pouch, there are stationery, there are thank-you cards. It really is every Everything a young person needs to be able to start their business. And the really exciting thing that we haven't talked about yet with the biz kit and is that by the end of it, it's seven steps, and each step ends with what we call a biz plan page. And so you complete that biz plan page, and by the end of the guide, you've completed an entire business plan. And this is a huge surprise win for anybody who's doing it because, again, you know, we talked about how many adults do we know that don't necessarily know how to compile and, and look yep. at their financial statements. Well, business plans are, again, they're daunting for a lot of people, and we've, we've created the ability for them to go through what feels like a very natural process and create their business plan, and then they can share and enroll others into their businesses. Wow. And, you know, I just thought I'd tie back into our last show. We talked about taxes. We took a break from the financial literacy. We talked a little bit about taxes, especially since tax time is, is coming up, and especially tax planning. So for somebody that's uh, starting a business and has their entrepreneurial idea, keep in mind that youth, youthpreneur biz kit could be tax deductible. So there's no reason not to treat it as one of your business expenses and getting it started. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper than spending, you know, ten or $20,000 to have somebody do a business plan if you're scared to have one done uh, or you don't know how to do it. So this sounds like a you know a real win 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 uh, you know great great programs have have either of these programs been available in other languages yet obviously it's still fairly early we're you know launched uh, six years ago in one case five years ago in the other uh, but any other languages available yet. So the the products have been taken, as I mentioned, to other countries. I mean, the game has been used in countries in Africa and Europe and China. They are not currently available in other languages, although we have had inquiries and we are exploring those opportunities right now. And it is something that we are certainly um, looking at doing to be able to, again, expand the ability to be able to share them um, with as many people as possible and really be able to touch as many lives as possible. Cool. That is that is obviously a, a challenge, but again, with a fairly recent product, um, that's that's uh, not necessarily easy. But I, I think it will eventually open up things. But yeah, I mean, you've got a huge opportunity in just the U.S. and the U.K. and a number of other English-speaking uh, uh, countries. Uh, we shouldn't forget, you know, of course, Canada and Australia and other other biggies, so they don't feel like I'm, I'm somehow uh, slighting them. And of course, English is a, is a major language, so I'm not trying to say that it's not, not useful without that. Just curious, since we do have some international listeners as well. Obviously, they speak English. Uh, now, you were featured in Sharon Lecter's recent book, Think and Grow Rich for Women. What were some of the aspects of your career that were highlighted in that book? Well, that was a really fun opportunity for me. Uh, you know, Think and Grow Rich for Women does a great job of highlighting uh, incredible women from the past and the present um, in varieties of different industries and um, different places in their lives about how to really – how to implement the steps to success in their own lives. And so I'm a couple places in the book. I am in the organized planning chapter. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm very systems-oriented mm-hmm. and very detail-oriented. Uh, so uh, Sharon refers to me as uh, her disciplinarian with a velvet hammer, which is uh, a fun fun way to be addressed. Um, but really the idea is, is that the importance that organized planning plays in 
reaching your goals and having a business, whatever it is that you're trying to do. And so, and, and Sharon does a lot to talk about and is constantly reminding us of something that's very important. Again, that's the importance of your team. And so it's great to be a part of, of um, her team and it's great to be a partner and pay your family first and to be highlighted in such a way that um, really shows that I'm able to help her create the success that she wants as well. By, by bringing that element to our organization. And then I'm also, I have a story that I've contributed to the One Big Life chapter, which is the final chapter of the book. Um, and so really that's about, uh, it, it's a story of early in my career, as I mentioned, I've been working with Sharon for going on 13 years. Um, that I came to her and I said, I had had two kids. I was early in my career. I've always been very ambitious. I said, how do you do this? You know, How do you create this work-life balance and figure all this stuff out? Because I want to be there for my kids, but I have all these professional ambitions. And we had this really great conversation about, you know, really – how can you create balance? That's a really good question. You have to really identify first what it is that you you feel will make you feel good and fulfilled and meet the needs of both of those aspects of your life. Because for me, it's I can't compartmentalize my family life and my professional life. They overlap in right. so many different right. places. And right. it was a really powerful conversation because it allowed me to reframe from necessarily feeling like I had to get work-life balance to feeling like I'm making decisions that allow me to be happy and fulfilled in both parts of my life. And if there's overlap mm-hmm. and if I'm checking my email at 9 o'clock at night or I'm you know, missing part of the workday to go watch a school performance, that I can be guilt-free in those instances, which is still hard to do, but it's just about reframing how we make decisions every day and really concentrating on that those decisions are ones that we feel good about at the end of the day. And if not, if you don't feel good, then you know to shift something moving forward. Okay. Well, in your case, if you're if you're watching a uh, school performance, I mean, heck, that's your, that's your uh, uh, target audience, right? It gives you a chance to network and share share what you're doing as well. So, in some ways, that's a great sales experience for the company. Absolutely, and that's I mean, that's why I said it's I mean, it's very difficult to compartmentalize. I mean, particularly in my right. case, there are so many times where I mean, I take my kids to when we do youth programs. My kids will sometimes go with me, and they'll help set up, and then they get to see what's happening. So I'm still, I'm still teaching. I'm still on purpose in what I'm doing, but I'm also teaching my kids, and I'm giving them an opportunity to be impacted by what I do every day in my career. Another another good example of uh, of having uh, tax advantages by uh, not uh, separating those two fully, because now all of a sudden there is a there is a work component to that trip to the school. Uh, but that's a sidelight. Let's remind our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about Pay Your Family First, and more about you. What are the two websites you suggested? Uh, PayYourFamilyFirst.com. Mm-hmm. And my website is AngelaTotman.com, and that's T-O-T-M-A-N. Perfect. And my email, email address, address? Mm-hmm. is Angela at PayYourFamilyFirst.com. Perfect. Now, Angela, we've covered a lot of aspects, financial literacy, blame in the schools. Uh, are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize that uh, maybe uh, maybe I've missed some things or overlooked some? We can't fit everything, but you know, what are what are some key ones you'd like to mention? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the way that you started the show was very interesting because it it really asked who should be teaching financial literacy. And one thing that I really want to highlight is wherever there's an opportunity to be sharing this, whether it's with kids or, you know, college students or adults, 
I mean, we really need to be continuing to talk about this and keep it at the forefront of conversation because this isn't just a matter of, you know, what should students be learning in school. This is a matter of a topic that can have huge economic impact. I mean, we've seen that over the last several years, and we continue to see it. As young people are graduating college, they're delaying major life investments like homes and cars because they're paying off student loans and they've got credit cards that they're trying to pay off. And so this isn't, like I said, this isn't just a matter of, oh, you know, we have to be teaching this because, you know, administrators or teachers or, you know, some certified personal family finance educator thought it was important. This is a huge economic issue uh, that we need to address. And I love the fact, too, that, you know, we had the opportunity to reflect on if we do need to be blaming the teachers and it's not making us feel any better because the reality is we have amazing teachers here and across the country, and so we just need to continue to give them the tools that can help them achieve this goal. We need to continue to support them in what they're already doing, and for those who aren't and maybe feel a little bit less confident, continue to show them ways that they can integrate it into their classroom without it being something that's super complicated. Uh, So, I mean, I I think that though I I love the fact that you opened up the show that way, and I appreciate that you did that and and to come back to that idea that let's teach it wherever we have the opportunity as a parent, as a teacher. I mean, this is a concern that everybody should be thinking about and look for those tools that can allow us to really to share this important life skill with kids. Okay, so don't blame the teachers. Support them, and maybe buy your kids the game so that they can take it to school and 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 uh, get it get it started and get the demand side that maybe the teachers start telling the administrators that we need to incorporate this as part of it. Very exactly. Cool. It was great having you on the show, and behalf of our listeners and their kids, I'd like to thank you for what you're doing, and hopefully we'll find some more opportunities to work together and get the word out about what schools can do for their kids and uh, future generations. Thank you so much again for having me, Ron. I appreciate being here, and I enjoyed getting a chance to speak with you on air. My pleasure. You're a great great speaker, by the way, very very crisp and on point. So love it. Look forward to having you back on sometime in the future. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay. Well, I sure hope today's show with Angela Totman gave you some optimism the world will not collapse in the near future. There is a chance that future generations of government officials will actually become financially literate, literate. Now, isn't that an optimistic thought? Now, it certainly is encouraging there are laws being passed to make the future brighter rather than just regulations to restrict businesses and entrepreneurs. Those are the ones I notice the most. It's also encouraging that entrepreneurs like Sharon Lecter and Angela Totman are developing these programs and be used by today's teachers to teach kids about personal finance. And yes, they can be used at home, too. We've never made it part of the Wealth DNA Radio Show's mission to bring up ideas that could launch or expand businesses, but maybe my sharing Steve Jobs getting Apple computers into schools might just do that. You see, donating computers was an extremely expensive undertaking, whereas software to teach personal finance could be used for managing expenses, budgets, investments, and taxes could be far less expensive. First one comes to mind is Intuit, who develops and markets personal finance software like Quicken or TurboTax. And by the way, good programs. Maybe they're listening to this show. And if they don't act on the idea, maybe some other listener might just become the next billionaire like Steve Jobs and even put Intuit out of business. There's a thought for you. Now, I couldn't decide between very two different quotes for very different quotes for today's show. So let me remind you of both. And I appreciate your feedback on the quotes. Which one did you like better? And did it have an impact on you? First one, 
any man who thinks he can be happy and prosperous by letting the American government take care of him better take a closer look at the American Indian. And that's Henry Ford. The second one, teaching personal finance is like teaching students how to use computers. In both cases, students learn by doing. And in both cases, the subject has immediate relevance to their lives if taught effectively. And that's Dr. Lewis Mandel, University at Buffalo School of Management. Now, we heard Angela's feedback to these two questions. Now I'll ask you, should we count on schools, which are run by the government, to teach our kids personal finance? And secondly, somehow schools have recognized computer skills are absolutely essential for every kid when they graduate and even sooner, but centuries have passed, and why haven't schools recognized each of us will have to deal with personal finance, regardless of the path we choose? During the radio show, we welcomed our listeners who had good courses in personal finance to tell us about their experience. The silence was deafening. If you weren't already familiar with Thrive Time for Teens board game or the Youth Printer Biz Kit, I encourage you to learn more about them. Share the radio show link, show link with your family, friends, and networks. And think who on your Christmas list could benefit if you bought one or both of them for them or their teacher. Although our primary objective in the show is to help you become wealthy, it would be great to work with everyone in your family to become wealthy. And keep in mind, we are in a world of abundance, so you don't have to worry that if you become wealthy, there won't be enough for everyone else. There is plenty. We want to help you and one million other people become millionaires. And think how much easier my job will be if you help bring all of the members of your family into that group of my million favorite friends. Now, if you missed part of today's show, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. Of course, you find the full list of past shows on WealthDNA.us. Our special thanks to our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund, Scottsdale, Phoenix area, for helping us put together the show. Incidentally, they are actively searching for additional houses in the Phoenix area, often paying a premium, and sellers can avoid realtor expenses. Now, the Wealth DNA radio show will be back on the fourth Monday of December. That's Monday, December 22nd, 9 a.m. in Arizona. Same place and same time. Now, our guest for that show will be Larry Wingett. We'll be talking about financial literacy. Blame yourself. Knowing Larry, he'll encourage each of us to stop looking for other people to blame. He'll certainly inspire us to start the new year with a new mindset. We always have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have comments or questions, you haven't received my emails, reminding about the show, send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us or follow The Ronald on Facebook or Twitter, and that's all one word, The Ronald. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and getting to know more about Thrive Time for Teens. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. 
follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.